Dave Doyle with the Art and Mayfair podcast series. On today's show, I have Reese Corin. Reese was born in 1983 in Plymouth. Uh, he is a self-taught artist, and a lot of his work is inspired by writing, performance, animation, rhythm, color, music. I just found out skateboarding as well. No, BMXing. BMXing. <laughs> Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? We're in, in the area in Medici Court where your beautiful mural is. Is it, is it a mural? Because it's like a sculpture on the wall. How would you describe it? A sculpture on the wall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is a mural. It, I mean, it's made, I made it like I, I would make a painting. Uh, that's how I thought about it at the beginning. Um, but then, that's really good. That's got me already, that. It is a mural, yeah. I just didn't think about it like that at the time, and I think if I had thought about it like a mural, because mural, for me, means um, a sort of foreverness, then I would have stressed out about it too much, so I thought about it as a painting, as part of a series of paintings. And a floor, and a mural. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the uh, effect of stained glass and dance yeah. floors, and in a way, from speaking to you earlier, it looks like and sounds like the work solved itself while you were making it, which was... I mean, it just—it does sound like that, but I'm still stressed about it. I'm still stressed about the process of making it. I'm still dreaming that it's not finished. It's still like, it's taken so much, like, um, it's taken so long to do. That it's been such a big part of my life for so long that to kind of say that it kind of resolved itself would undermine the impact it sort of had on me as I've made it. There were times when I had to make crucial decisions and I just couldn't. Something happened where I went into like another headspace, like a, something not so conscious, and then the images happened or the title happened or the process sort of happened. But but there was like, you know, months and months and months of obsessing and to the point of kind of losing my mind and then then I was kind of finished finish what I needed to for that whatever mini deadline in the process of making it if that makes sense did you title it before or after right at the very end and and the title is everyone i've ever known yeah i mean i've come in for i felt a bit weird about that since because everyone knows the tracy emin piece and whilst i it wasn't what i was thinking about at the time like it's such a seminal work that it must be in my subconscious somewhere but so I kind of feel a bit weird that it kind of references that, but it came from, I had the word everything written down for two years and I was going to just call it that. And then it just didn't seem right. And then I think we were talking earlier, like whenever I'm, I'm sort of feeling, I'm struggling with a piece of work, I try to like, I'll use music or something like that as a way to condition myself to sort of piggyback some of that like visceral stuff that music has that art. Art's a bit more analytical. Can be, I find. yeah. Uh, and I wanted to piggyback the kind of the emotion of some music, and so I would listen to like seventies or eighties disco or something. I think at the time I just put New Order on, and then in the song Regret, which is kind of ironic because I don't regret this. Like Bernard Sumner sings Everyone I've Ever Known, and I was just like, fuck, there we go. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's it. That's kind of what I wanted, and it kind of makes sense with, yeah. So someone has since reviewed it and talked about every piece of the aggregate in the marble sort of representing someone and that's kind of what I was after. But. And the marble itself, that is it Terrazzo mm. marble, it, there's an interesting 
component to that that has to do with recycling and uh, reusing and ends of things? Well, like, you think about, like, a piece of terrazzo is, is aggregate and a base material. And uh, I'm not sure how, if this is true or not, but, like, I was told the story that in Italy and, like, Venice and places like that, they would use volcanic ash as a base material and have all these broken materials dropped in. So there's um, kind of recycling uh, bits of marble and glass and different things that kind of come from other materials. Um, but I really like the idea that there's the base colour and all these different coloured and different um, types of material all together, they like work together to serve one function, which is to create a kind of tone or a colour. Yet you zoom in and there's red, green, blue, black, grey, and then it's like a different colour base. Speckles and energy yeah. and cracks and, and textures. and It's like wildly noisy in a way, but it works together. But there's, there's, a, there's a kind of weird parallel that I drew at the time. Like there's a democracy to like a dance floor where like everyone, every one of these things is, has this individual experience, but it's the collective experience. Like everyone's individual experience works towards the collective experience. And only when everyone's, you know, you know, dancing together, does, does that kind of energy make sense? And I kind of like how every single tiny piece of that aggregate is important for creating this overall color or, yeah. That idea of community and people doing things together uh, also ties in with public art um, and, and having art in public spaces that are meant for commerce. Any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, again, like a, a bit like I never thought about it as a public artwork in the same way I didn't think about it as a mural to start. I don't know how much of that is just me protecting myself so I can think about it like I would any, any other work I made. But um, when I graduated from my postgraduate course 2016... Was that at the Royal College of Art? Royal Academy. Royal Academy. I went on this just epic road trip. Went to the Albers Foundation in Connecticut. I was in a show in New York as well, so we stopped there. So jo Joseph Albers. Joseph and Annie, Annie Albers. Albers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, amazing. And then we flew to the West Coast and went to Spiral Jetty and then drove wow. from there to Marfa via like the lightning fields and things. And um, going to like the Chinati Foundation and seeing like permanently installed works in, in essentially gallery like white cubes or even outside, say, with some of the Juds. I started to like realize that what was amazing about that place was they were just works. They weren't thought of as public works. They just installed permanently, which meant that they are always the same. So you can go at a different time of day and the light's different. The weather's different. It could be snowy. It could be hot. There's rattlesnakes. <laughs> there are like mountain lions running around there sometimes. You can come back later and you're a different person. Like, so everything changes other than that work. And uh, that just, I don't know, there's something about like, the foreverness of this would have been too much. It was too much for my brain to comprehend. So I couldn't think about it as a public work. I just thought about it as a work that could be there for a really long time. And it was because of that road trip. But to go back to your question about a piece in like, did you say a, a, like a commercial area? Yeah, like, like Bond Street, which is also a cultural area. I mean, it's funny like, don't, I don't ever really come around here unless it's to go to an opening. Well, when I studied, I studied here for three years around the corner. But yeah, which, which actually was just 12 people studying in the Burlington Arcade end of thing, isn't it? It's an incredible uh, program. 15 in each, each year, so. Well, it changes, but uh, there was 16 in my year, I think. And that's a daunting 
process in itself, just getting accepted. But but move along and yeah. I would have that would have killed me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I tried to get in for several years. It was like a real goal of mine to go there because of the fact it was small and it was intimate and where it was and the history it had. There were no fees, so it was based entirely off your portfolio. Yeah, well done, Royal Academy. That's yeah. a really special program. Which artist led. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's amazing. Did you find you met a lot of people there that you are still affecting? Yeah. It's like... Um, you form such a bond with the people in your year because you are, you, like you, there isn't a week that goes by you're not in a tutorial or crit with someone for three years. And um, you learn more from them than a lot of the sort of people who come to teach you. And you owe each other that and you give them your time and they give you theirs. And even if you don't get on, you have like a camaraderie. Like you would, you know, you would, you would, do anything anyone else but you probably wouldn't want to hang out with them too much like you would help them move house but you wouldn't want to go for a drink with them yeah it's a proper <laughs> artist community yeah right? like but you really like, like annie albers and black mountain and all of that and you bond with them because the debate and the discussion around art is challenging you need each other yeah to get better yeah i um this may be another podcast series we work yeah. on all about how important the Royal Academy's program is, post-grad mm. program. But back to you. If, if I were to ask you, um, if we go right back to the beginning, who you are and what you do, how would you describe yourself? Um, that's a good question. I don't think about it very much. Um, do you know what? I guess... I feel like I've already so, I've so overachieved with what someone from Plymouth <laughs> from the 80s should, should have done that like I don't really don't think too much about myself in that way. I don't really, I just think, oh, I can't believe I've just managed to make something like that happen. What could I potentially do next? And then I'm focused on what that next thing is rather than trying to identify like who I am or what I do. Maybe if I did, I'd be a bit more, have a bit more direction sometimes, but. What influences you culturally, artistically? And, and, and I mean, I think we've talked a lot about that with music and dance and performance and stained glass and the RA, but what shaped you? Well, art for me is a, a form of communicating that isn't like, I think anyone that does anything creative, anyone that's a creative person, that's like an innate thing in them. So like, when I've like taught and stuff on BAs or like across like foundations or something like that, when you see that everyone that is slightly creative sort of filters into that system and then whether you want to be a designer, graphic designer, illustrator, like there's, there's like a, there's a little route for each different type of creativity. For me, like why fine art I was drawn to it was because I really want to try and connect with people and communicate things that aren't like singular or linear and so like that work there imagine if that work was a conversation it'd be 20 things being shouted at you at once and it's up to you to pick different bits out at any one time there's something in me which is just wants to communicate and connect with people and um i don't know where i was going with that yeah you're going there it's about how your practice has evolved yeah. over time and 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 well, I guess if, if that's just all I really care about is trying to find ways to connect and communicate with people. What's art for? Oh, okay, so that's, what, that's 
I guess that's where I was, I was trying to understand that through talking. Um, I don't know, like, we, we were talking earlier about, like, how... Because, like, say, like, music can invoke such an emotional response or it can make you dance or, like, comedy can make you laugh. Your body has an involuntary response which lets you know if that, that communication was successful or not. And with art, because of the fact it's quite confusing, there are all these things being communicated at you at once, like the distillation period is so long and sometimes you do get happy and you do do that when you like something. And, but sometimes it takes years, sometimes months. So like to say what art is for, it's like, it does change you, but that can be a really short term immediate thing and it could be 10 years later, 15 years later. It's really like, it's so untangible and I think that's what I love about it. And it's illogical and it's, there isn't like an immediate response that you get to let you know if it's working. But for some reason it fuels me and that's why I get up every day and that's why I always am thinking everything I see or do goes through a filter which my brain is building up over time which kind of converts everything into an idea for a work but I still don't know why. Maybe it's that, maybe I don't know. And maybe that's what's so attractive about it. If you could uh, live with one piece of work for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be and why money doesn't factor into this? Do you know what? This changes, it just changes all the time. Um, what is it today? Just like, a, imagine just having a giant Keith Haring mural <laughs> across your whole house. Something like that. Significant, yeah. considering the times we're living yeah. in. It's right back to where it was, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be wonderful. Then you wouldn't be able to hang anything else there anyway, so. <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know. Or like, to live in an environment that Donald Judd had something to do with. So that's like a complete artwork. It's a bit of a, like I found a loophole there, but, you know. <laughs> it's creative. A, a Judd bed, a Judd table and chairs, a Judd work on the wall, you know. Actually, that's an interesting choice because he wasn't an only a sculptor. He was also a writer and a collector. Mm. Do you write and collect art as well? Yeah. I mean, before I, I got into the RA, my sort of the main thing I made money doing was writing, from copywriting, sub-editing, and doing some sort of hipster journalism, <laughs> and. Uh, it's now I just it's personal it's like a thing I do for myself because I don't want to finish things I don't want writing to have a beginning and an end because I, once you start to structure like I was saying before like for me to communicate in a way that isn't linear so I just write lots of tiny pieces and I sort of mush them all together seems to me your work is a bit of a, a meditation on, on the mysteries of life and that sounds mega pretentious but, <laughs> yeah. but this kind of not knowing is a place where you're the most comfortable well that's the irony is that that's the place I'm like most uncomfortable everywhere else in life like uh, quite cerebral it's I'm very like I'm very um, literal and cerebral normally and like I find it hard to suspend disbelief say with like literature or like theatre and stuff like that even films really but I can do it in art which is kind of weird but so like people being late or like this project being postponed constantly never really having fixed dates that drove me mad but like it's something I 
encourage people to do in art and that's something I try and celebrate. It's kind of weird. I mentioned when I first met you that I, I thought compositionally every everyone I've ever known, your piece in Medici Court, was compositionally like Picasso's Guernica mm-hmm. and your face kind of contorted. Um, how do you feel being compared to these historical giants and everything being something that has to be measured against history? So, like, that, that put me off, put me off wanting to, like, make work for a long time. It put me off wanting to make wall-based, paint-based works. What did? History? Art history? Uh, that, that kind of, like, recent, like, modernist macho blokey painting history like for me like Mary Harmon or someone like that is she's my probably my favorite artist there's a Jan Vervoort who is a a lecturer and writer I think he taught at the Piet Schwartz Institute but he was the visiting professor for when I was graduating at the Royal Academy and he did this talk where he like mocked like end game painting and all these guys trying to end painting with these big works and um, there's a, a painting that Mary Harmon did called Save the Last Dance for me, I think. And he's like, hey, DJ, keep the music going. Like, I don't want to end any painting. I just want to keep, like, what, like he's, he calls it crab walking side to side within, within a, that modernist art history. And then he's, he, like, starts playing, like, Depeche Mode riffs on a little, like, synthesizer. And then he goes, imagine, like, her practice is, like, this, like, feedback loop of resonance. And he plays, like, a little baseline and he plays with this um like an acid house uh, kind of instrument and he creates this like acid house tune from the frequency feeding back into itself and i was like oh that's where i feel comfortable i don't like trying to end painting and i don't so i don't like i don't even like talking or thinking about picasso too much because he was a real shit <laughs> as well but having the ghost of work like that or even the like the long landscape like pollock You've got to like take those kind of ghosts head on in a way, but but my way into like being a, a person that makes rectangles that goes on walls is through the, this idea of these feedback loops and Mary Harmon and people like that. So like intimacy in the work and a smaller scale. So it's kind of part of the um, challenge for me to make something that big that felt intimate was that was part of the hook that drew me into wanting to do that that work in the first place. Because I always thought that intimacy and scale were like invertly related you know like or a large work would push you back small work would draw you in and then this 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 work was like a kind of way a challenge for creating something intimate that was on that scale so it's on a picasso scale but i wanted it to have mary Holman intimacy i can say that when we walked through the piece which is big mm. you had memory recall and bits and pieces mm. of a narrative so it also worked like a storyboard for you yeah from from the grace jones head to the boots to mm. parts of the dance floor which might not be a obvious initially but incredible when you start looking at yeah, it yeah i wanted like my understanding of the use of the space was that there would be once the station opens there'll be people passing through here regularly it's more like a, a commuter's alley so i wanted a work that unfolded if you had to walk past that twice a day for the next 10 years, I'd be in fine 10 with years that. time, there'd still be something you didn't see the first time. Yeah, beautiful. And that was a, that was a challenge I, I really was excited by. So for someone who doesn't like to talk, we've done well. <laughs> yeah. We've done well. Is there anything 
that you'd like to talk about regarding the work that I haven't asked? It's, it's really unfair that it's just me that has my name on it because, you know, it's, in a way I've probably spent the least amount of time physically making it than anyone, but they're like the people that made the terrazzo, the cut and finished it all, the people that made the frames. The craftspeople. The, uh, Jess Fernie, the curator of the whole project, who got me in in the first place. And then, you know, David Farries at GPU, who commissioned it, like, he's the one who, it was going to be us three smaller works, and he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> if we're going to do it, let's really, really do it. You know, and it pushed me to work bigger. Yeah, also, it speaks to your, your desire and your love of collaboration, in a sense. And uh, in the process of design, or designing it or coming up with the images for it, I was commissioned by the Royal Academy to do a piece for the Lumiere Festival of Light in 2018. And the the curator of architecture there, Kate Goodwin, again, I proposed a, a small screen in the courtyard. You know, by the time she was finished with me, we projected my animation on the whole of the Royal Academy and had a light installation on timers with a festival um, sound system. So it's people like that making me do stuff. If I hadn't have done that at the RA, I wouldn't have had the, the tools to kind of work bigger and be more ambitious. But yeah, and... Just the, the people that made it, like it's been, it's been amazing working with people who really know the materials and stuff like that. Well, if anyone wants to see Reese Corrin's work, everyone I've ever known is in Medici Courtyard, just off of Bond Street, uh, four commuters on the New Elizabeth Line. Thank you so much for your time today and opening up about the work. It was great talking to you.